0: Christ, the good shepherd, the great shepherd of the sheep, our shepherd, that you would feed us. Lord, as we take up this passage of Peter's restoration, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear, that we might have a heart willing and ready to receive instruction. Lord, teach us. Show us Jesus, in His grace and mercy, even as we see in Peter something of our own hearts. Lord bless the preaching of your word which we take up according to your appointment, which you ascend it forth through the demonstration of the Spirit's power. In Jesus' name, amen. may be seated. Last week we noted that Jesus met with these men, that his disciples uh, now appointed apostles. He met with them in a, a familiar place. They came to that setting. The setting was beside the Sea of Galilee. Passed to South America, these men who were fishermen, who fished on the sea again. And even as we saw in the text, they were fishing when they encountered Jesus on the shore. Jesus chose this saying out of kindness to them all, but particularly for Peter. For Peter's sake they were in this place. Peter was aware that he had denied his Lord three times. And no doubt he had been uneasy in each of the three times that John has recorded that Jesus met with them. Peter wondering, how do things stand? Where am I? What is my relationship like? What does Jesus see of me? But Jesus not only chose the setting, he also chose the time. John tells us in verse 15 that it was after they had eaten breakfast that Jesus engaged. Jesus was tender in his dealings with these men. Even now, when a difficult matter needs to be addressed, Jesus do not spoil the meal or the fellowship that they enjoyed as they ate together. It's highly likely that Jesus was instructing them in other vital manners. We're not told by John what else was discussed, but there was nothing that Jesus did that was a waste of time All was to be profitable. He was soon to return to his father, and they would see him no more until he came again in majesty and splendor of glory, even as we look for him to do. Matthew Henry suggests that Peter would have been filled with doubts because about where he stood with his master. John Calvin comments Peter's treacherous denials rendered him unworthy of his apostleship. John Calvin continues in paraphrasing more than quoting, How could Peter be capable of instructing others in the faith when he had denied knowing the Lord Jesus Christ? Was at the very center of salvation. How could Peter be of any use in such a condition? Peter had been appointed as an apostle by Jesus along with Judas before the cross. They were, had both abandoned their post. Note that. They had both abandoned their post. They both were therefore deprived of the honor of apostleship. What follows, in is remarkable is restored by Jesus. Peter regains his authority of teaching and preaching the glorious good news. Calvin says, quoting this time, the disgrace of his apostasy
1: might not stand in
0: his way. Christ blots out and destroys the remembrance of it. Isn't that what Jesus does in our lives so often with our own sin? This event comes to us today as a cause for Great encouragement and comfort. And Jesus, even yes, our Lord Jesus Christ, is able to make even the worst sort of sinner a new man, remove his disgrace, and send him forth to labor in his vineyard, even involved in building up the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is remarkable. That is really quite stunning. My friends, If you have disgraced the Lord, denied the gospel, even walked in rebellion for a season, listened and see the power of God at work in the life of a man of like nature, as we all are. What makes the good news good is that sinners can be forgiven and restored by Jesus. Satan wants us to believe that we have fallen into sin, there's no hope for us, keep us down with his accusations, and yet Jesus comes. When Satan would keep us oppressed and keeping on sinning, Jesus comes and rescues us. We've seen this as a theme throughout the book of Isaiah, uh, the gospel according to Isaiah. God dealing with a wayward people. Even in the text this morning that we just heard, we see parallels with Peter. Jesus rescues sinners. We're going to consider this under three main headings. Jesus asked Peter three questions. Then we have the repentance and restoration of Peter. And then we'll see Jesus call and commission Peter once more to be a pastor, a shepherd, to feed his sheep. We begin then with Jesus asking Peter three questions. Last week we looked at the first part of John 21, and we saw that John had announced that there was a man on the shore. and And when they were in the boat, John says to his companions in the boat uh, he, he realizes it's Jesus and he announces it's, it's the Lord and what did Peter do he
1: quickly threw on his outer garment and
0: he plunged into the sea to make his way ashore Peter wanted to be with Jesus brothers and sisters that's a first lesson right off those application for us. When we've sinned, when we've been wayward, let our hearts long to be with the Lord. Let us rush to him, stumbling,
1: staggering, falling before him. Let
0: us come, even like impetuous Peter, let us come to the Lord. Peter was heading to the right one. Let us learn from that. As the meal progressed, it was reasonable to think that the charcoal forty a charcoal fire burning before these men would, would have been a reminder. To Peter. And that <laughs> night, it was no mistake that Jesus had kindled the fire, had prepared it there. Peter would remember the night when standing by another truck on fire, warning himself to deny that he even knew the Lord three times. Peter was a man like you and I. And Was recognized by the guards and the light of the fire. They said, You're one of this man's disciples. And Peter's words running through his mind at that time by the fire here now. Peter three times. Do you love me? Three questions. For three denials. There was no accident. Now, we need to get a little technical at this point. I will seek to be clear so that uh, hopefully you don't get lost in the reading. It's not super complicated, but this is important. Most of you, many of you, most of you, I know it's true for me. I, I grew up hearing this text preached. By uh, and pointed out that the first two times that Jesus asked Peter if he loved him, he used the Greek word agape. You know I don't usually use Greek in a sermon, uh, but this is so familiar to us that I will use it. Uh, this agape love is often used, notice my qualification, often used to describe a higher form of love, the, the love of God. That's often the case. And it's been suggested that Peter, ashamed and broken in the spirit, dared not to assert that sort of love for Jesus, because each time he answers Jesus, he uses the word phileo. That is, brotherly love, affection. Uh, Jesus used the same word for love, phileo, the third time he asked Peter if he loves him. Now, there's a problem with treating this text and basing our interpretation on, on the interpretation, the use of these two words. And here's one of the important uh, aspects of an interpretation. We look at the context, the immediate context, the larger context, and we look at John's Gospel and how John writes. John is the human author, moved along by the Holy Spirit, and John has a style. And what we see in John's Gospel is he uses these two words, agape and phileo, pretty much interchangeably. He does not use them in a very narrow, technical definition, which really begs the question, is that the way to interpret those words seems how like John, inspired by the Spirit, uses them so interchangeably as love. It's true that agape is usually associated, but it's usually associated with God's love, a love that is decisional, a, an intentional, A sacrificial love, even. Phileo is frequently associated with human love, based on attraction and and affection, a commendable love. But John did not tend to follow these technical definitions if they were even something he considered. We notice that John, John chapter 20, verse 2, we find him referring to himself as the disciple whom the Lord... Love, that's our translation. He uses Phil. Phil had fond affection, brotherly love for him. Then in John 21.7, John makes that same statement, the disciple whom Jesus loved, and he uses agape. Same statement, referring to the same object, John, by the same one who loved. John uses the words in a change of them. When John wrote his account of the gospel, the Holy Spirit moved John along to write, Every word faithfully in such a way that John's own personality, vocabulary, and style came through. We've been looking at something of John's style. John varied his vocabulary. That's part of his style. In this text, John uses two. The very text we're looking at, John uses two different words for knowing. He uses two different words for tending the sheep. This is John's style. He uses... Two different words for that, as we just mentioned. So Jesus and Peter would have had this lakeside conversation in that word I out last week, Aramaic. That's what they would have been speaking. And so then John is reporting what they said, translating what they said into the Greek. And he does so faithfully. For this reason, most faithful scholars today agree that the key to understanding the exchange between Jesus and Peter does not hinge upon the words used for love. This is important. So what's going on here? Hopefully moving on from some of the technical bit, very important. What's going on here? What is Jesus seeking to accomplish in Peter? Look at the first question of verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus says to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you lend me more than these? Remember the conversation in the episode had just warned the disciples that that very night they would all abandon him, that they would flee from him, they would fall away when he was arrested. And he told them that, he, that they should then go on. He's looking to the future. They should go on to Galilee to wait for him. This is the night he's been foretelling, the night when he will be seized, arrested, crucified, and die. He looks beyond that, and that night in that room he says that they should go ahead of him to Galilee. With Peter in his immature Now, but after Peter's three denials, here they are. They're to see a man. Jesus, I want go on ahead of me together. Here they are. And now, Jesus wants to know that Peter still loves him more than the others do. That was Peter's claim. I love you more than the they're away. They're gone the to heaven. They're gone. They're right by. the are None of this is accidental. Jesus is appointed to sin as well as the time. And we're seeing Peter's answers. It's a broken and contrite spirit. Quite a boastful answer. let say that Peter is spiritually deflated. So he says, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus asks Peter a second time, and Peter answers in verse sixteen again. He says to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And then in verse seventeen, with a third time, Peter John Declan's, Peter is grieved because of this third inquiry, without recalling that Peter had any doubts. The three denives. And that is Peter say on this occasion. He was grieved because he said to him a third time, Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. after something much greater. He was doing an internal work in Peter's heart. Even as Jesus was asking the questions, let us understand the Holy Spirit was working in Peter's heart. The questions of the Savior, one who is the living Word, the Holy Spirit is there applying the Word to Peter in his heart. The Holy Spirit was doing a serious work in Peter's heart. Even as the Mass do in spirit, our hearts, if we are to repent and to return. See then, as the Living Word and the Holy Spirit working in concert together, even as He does today when the Word is preached, the Holy Spirit and the Living Word working in concert today in the hearts of sinners to bring them to Jesus, that they would love Jesus. What were they seeking for? Looking for true and lasting repentance in Peter's heart. This is painful. It was grief. This was painful. This is in the presence of his peers. It was painful when it was necessary. With the third question, John reports that Peter was grief. But grief is necessary, my friends. Part of true repentance is a godly sorrow. A godly sorrow that leads to repentance, as the scripture says. And when at the end Peter appeals to the to what Jesus knows. And then Peter appeals to the Lord Jesus. He knows things, all things perfectly. He appeals to that. The repentance and the love that Peter exhibits and he declares is known to Jesus because he has put it in Peter's heart by his Holy Spirit when he has sent to Peter. And that's true for us as well. Christian, what can we learn from this? Important lessons here first. That we learn that we can should take comfort. Jesus knows us inside and out. Jesus knows you better than you know yourself. Jeremiah says that your heart is deceitful and desperately and wicked. Who can know it? And am so grateful the scripture does not stop there. He goes on to say, God knows. And here we have the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, knowing Peter's heart, addressing Peter's heart. We could say the great physician is doing a good work in Peter critical things that we want to see in this text, and I think it's the right understanding of what's going on here, is that each time Jesus addresses Peter, notice what he says. John says, Jesus said to Simon, Peter, and I think we often we just, yeah, he's talking to Peter. But Jesus is addressing that man in this way, Simon, son of Jonah. Your translation may be Simon, son of John. That's how he addresses him all three times. Remember back in Matthew 16 where we have Peter's confession. Jesus has asked his disciples, who do, you say, or who, who do the people say that I am? And then he turns to them and says, who do you say that I am? And Peter, on the behalf of all of them, we know from the grammar that's the nature of it, but Peter says, thou art the Christ, the anointed one of God, thou art the Son of God. And what did Jesus say? Blessed are you, Simon bar Jonah, the flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father. It was a supernatural revelation, the supernatural work of God that God alone can do in the sinner's heart. And then Jesus says You will be called Peter. church so erroneously concludes that Peter is the rock on which the church is built but that rock is what Peter confessed that Jesus is the Christ the son of the living God that's the foundation stone the cornerstone the chief stone upon which the church is built and Peter has confessed that and that Jesus says to him for now you'll be him Peter and yet what do we find here Jesus says Simon that's what became, that was his name before the confession. And what we see here is that Peter has been temporarily deposed for being Peter, for being wrong. Before Simon son of Jonah could be restored as an apostle it was necessary to go back steps to retrace his steps to remember the basics of what was necessary to be a Christian it's not based on your boast that I love you more than these it's based upon what Christ has done and who he is Peter wants to remember that he's not the rock upon which Christ is built in his church but it's the truth of who Christ is and what He has done that's the bedrock and the foundation stone of the gospel and of the church Jesus is the Christ believe in this that John has told us right at the end of the previous chapter that we have sinners and life in his name. Application before we go forward. My friends, we have here lessons for us all. Here's one that is very important for us all. What is more important than our calling of service in the church? Whether you're an office-bearer or not, what is more important than this calling that we have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That we believe He is the Son of God, the Christ, the promised one, the Savior of sinners. And by this we have salvation in His name. That's the glorious foundation upon which we must build. And in that context, Jesus asks us, do you love me? And we understand that when Peter was being asked, do you love me? It's not by his love that Peter gained salvation. It's not that Simon, son of Jonah, becomes Peter again. It's not based on his love. It's based upon what God has done. Because God first loved us. Not that we first loved him. He first loved us. Therefore, we love him. And the love that we have from God is the love that we give back to God. And it's the love that we share with one another. It's all of Christ. Peter needs to be reminded of this. This is what the Lord brings him to. And that brings us to our second point of repentance and restoration. And the order is important. Restoration following repentance. Jesus had already come to Peter and the others on the night of his resurrection. Remember you know, when he first appeared, and then he comes that evening as they're in the room where the door is shut, he appears and what does it say? Peace be to y'all That's no. the plural there. And what is this peace? And these are the men who had forsaken him when he was arrested. They fled from him. And now Jesus speaks peace. Remember what we said about that peace? It's peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace because our sins are forgiven. We are cleansed from all unrighteousness. We are brought near to God in Christ. No longer rebels, but now children of the Most High God. This is the glorious truth of the gospel. This is what Jesus has accomplished. It was true based on the promise and the reality of. Christ going to be crucified, now he has been crucified, it is done, it is finished as we heard, and Jesus comes to them with a declaration peace to you all. Peter had heard that. But why was it necessary for this exchange there by the seashore? Uh, following Rick Phillips, he says that there are three, and I agree with him. Alexander McLaren, a, a commentator from about two generations ago, paraphrasing what he says at this point, he says, The three denials needed to be wiped away by three confessions. Every black mark that had been scored deep on the page by denial needed to be covered over with a bright color of a triple acknowledgement of love. That's my. 21st century, they said it it be lost in because it's too beautiful. Just listen to that again. Every black mark that had been scored deep on the page by denial, you can relate to this, needed to be covered over with the bright summit of, of the triple acknowledgement of love. This word. I love you. Three times, Peter said, I know him bit. That denial was. On Peter's heart it has haunted him and troubled him even as David's sin with Bathsheba and, and the death of Uriah must have meditated and festered within him and so it is in our lives and Jesus brings us back all his loneliness is his own so that we would own him again Rick Phillips asks then. Jesus to require Peter to recall each stage of betrayal, forcing him to look at the details of his sin. No, it was not cruel. Phillips goes on to say, it was true kindness to insist that Peter, insist on Peter's repentance. We can't thrive with unrepentant sin, harbored in our hearts we cannot be full and sound in relationship with Christ and will not be healthy when there's sin within. Him. And just as you know, that's true. But also you know what it is to come and confess your sin. Why? Right. And confess him because he's faithful and just and forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And that fellowship and communion is restored. And all the glorious bliss of being restored to our beloved Redeemer when we believe His promises and we come to Him based on His accomplished salvation and we come in the fullness of the Gospel. Uh, Again, I'm thinking of Dr. Rita's grandpa who says, Son, when you understand grace, you fess up. when you don't recover that, Peter's been covering that. Jesus is bringing you back to who... Christ is who his redeemer is that he would fess up and each of these questions was for that purpose. AW Prink says the Lord wounds only that he may heal. Jesus is the great physician, and he that knew that in order for Peter to fully meet, recover, it was necessary to open the wound caused by his sin. Jesus used the lance of his grace because of his love to open that wound and, and to remove all the, festered, even the, the festering vestiges of sin. And then he closed and healed his heart. Children, you've got to understand this. You do have to be very old, children, before you've had a splinter, right? And you go to your parent and you want that splinter. It hurts. Well, they said, well, we have to, we're going to have to cut it, maybe use a needle or, or something sharp to cut it open until we get down and get it all out. <coughs> Let's not deal it, right? We go on. What happens? It, it gets infected, and it gets more sore. It starts turning red. I've been here many times. And until you kind of grimace to bear it, and have that wound open, and have the first blender removed, you and, and it's amazing how it feels better once it's out. Even though, even though you have the wound still there, when the splinters removed, it already feels better. That's what Peter's undergoing spiritually. He has the sin that is in his heart and it's festering. And Jesus with each question is cleansing Peter's heart of the festering remains of the sin, that he might bring the fullness of his healing. And when Jesus is finished. Peter was left without doubts as to his full repentance to Jesus. Peter sin and cast him down. The grace, amazing grace, found him and lifted him up. My friend, when you cast down with sin, you deeply wounded by a besetting sin. What is it a besetting sin? Because we don't go to the Master, the great physician, and say, Lord, remove this from my heart. We keep on sinning because we don't fully repent. One of our confessions of sin that we use from time to time is, forgive us for unrepentant, unrepenting repentance. This was a painful episode. Jesus didn't come to Peter on that first night and say, oh, Peter, you've got some unfinished business. First. Oh, yep, you're right there. I'm sorry. Forgive me. And it was all good. Jesus knows it will take something more. And so Jesus appointed the place and the time and the questions. And as Jesus was speaking to Peter, the Spirit was working in him. And indeed, that's what we must invite. We must seek the Lord. We must come serious about our sin. We do not want the Lord to heal us lightly. So often that's what we do. Now I lay me down to sleep, forgive me for my sins, give me a good night. Amen. It's more serious than that. We've seen how Peter, or Jesus died with Peter sin. Peter was made. Would you be heard of a Jesus? Invite Him as your Savior and Lord in a good physician to do surgery in your heart knowing that it in Him you will be healing. No, surely such things lose scars. We will always forget those things. Praise God, we don't remember every sin from our days. But there are some sins that they lose scars. They be consequences from our sin. that will never But that doesn't mean it. We will not forgive it. Go to Jesus. Yes, I invite him to cut as deep as he needs to to fully remove. Especially to fully give you a heart of repentance that you might be heard. We must move on quickly. To the next four reasons for why Jesus dealt with Peter as he did. They're worth meditating on. I mentioned there were three, as what Phillips comes up with. We'll deal with these second two more briefly. The second reason Peter needed to be brought to deep and detailed repentance was so that he would learn the lessons from his failure. Lessons that, when applied in the future, would help him to avoid the same sinful failure. Children never find a mousetrap set up for the mouse. And you play with it and snap. You forget that. And I'm pretty sure you'll never start poking your finger in that set mousetrap again. That's just one example. There's things that happen in life. We experience them one and we're We're done. We learn it. Let us be like that with spiritual matters. That's what Jesus is dealing with seriously and thoroughly that Peter would remember. Peter would not make great boast of himself in the future. And what we see is because of the work of grace that Peter has experienced, he understands grace and he becomes an apostle of grace and a preacher of grace and he preaches Christ and crucified. Remember on Pentecost, he says, You men of Israel, you put to death the Lord of glory. He's addressing the sin. But then Peter describes the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Wasn't there of Peter? He knew it. And you see there the wisdom of God to the symphony with pastor creatures amongst his people. We understand. It. Look at the late. Many of you know that as we've had conversations together. Peter needed this experience. Peter needed to discover the condition of his own heart, his own weakness, although redeemed we weakness yet remained. We we know that. And Peter needed to learn to walk by faith in Christ. And not in his own self-confidence. Third reason Peter's repentance needed to be completed was for the sake of his future ministry as an apostle. Peter could have no authority. It was uncertain whether he truly had faith in Christ and fully loved him. Remember who's around. It was Peter's. These men who he's walked with for three years as they've walked with Jesus, they know of Peter's denial. They've all heard of it. What usefulness can Peter have if they don't know that Peter is fully recovered and indeed really loves the Lord, the Lord who he denied? Does, Does he love him? It was necessary that this take place. Otherwise, the question would forever have hung over his head. He would have been plagued even in his own heart as well as before his companions. He boasted so strongly in the presence of the other apostles in the upper room, and now Jesus in their presence. afflicts Peter for good and their presence as well. And they heard these three confessions. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Peter's a very different man for the man in that room. Again, some applications. There's there's a question that is often asked in the church when a pastor has fallen into grievous sin and bad very much involved with such a situation in our own presbytery. And the question is, can such a man be restored? Well certainly a man who has fallen into grievous sin can have sinness in Christ. That's the message of the gospel. That's what we believe. Christ can heal us. He can cleanse us. He can forgive us. He, he wipes away the record, Though our sins be as scarlet, He makes them as white as the new fallen snow that we've seen overnight. And do we all believe that? We believe that God's grace is sufficient to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But can a man who was a minister be restored after sexual sin, financial sin, spiritual sin as a superior over staff and members in a congregation Surely we must not conclude that such sins are greater than Peter's sin of denial. There's a sense when we sin that we're denying it, isn't it? Words, we cannot conclude that, well, you know, what Peter did, but that's not quite as bad as what this man said. We want to do that. I mean, particularly if you're on the receiving end you're present. That's very so sufficient needs to be wisdom. What we've learned from this text is that there's a necessity to do serious, focused work with such a man. That's what we see Jesus doing with Peter. And that's now given to the church, particularly through elders, presbyters, to do serious, focused work. And in each of those cases of a fallen minister, sins of superiors cannot be quickly glossed over. Hard work must be done by the church and by the fallen one if there is to be restoration. We have seen some of the very notorious and odious falling of prominent ministers, and too often it's just been a quick glossing over and back in the ministry only to see more destruction and devastation in the church. Such restorations are there in the church. There should be, but they should not be unheard of. If a man is truly repentant, and demonstrates it over a season of time, walking at his repentance, that here's Peter. He's an example of God's grace. The, the ability of Christ to restore a man to usefulness in his church, even in the ministry, even in Peter's case as an apostle. Simon, son of Jonah. Peter's been deposed to that office. Christ does not leave him there, and that brings us to that third point. Jesus... Calls Peter to be a pastor. The final thing that we see is Jesus calling and sending Peter to be a pastor to speak. But look at the text again. We have three questions. Do you love me? Three answers. Lord, you know that I love you. And then Jesus says, "Feed my lambs, tend my sheep, feed my sheep." He uses two different words again, as we mentioned earlier on. Jesus not only assures Peter this forgiveness, he also sets Peter apart office again to be a pastor, a shepherd to his beloved people. Remember how much Jesus loved us? He went to the cross. He died in our place. He would not entrust this office to just anybody. But indeed he restores Peter. Whereas the world and and humanity we often want to discard men who make major blunders in ministry, Jesus did not. He entrusts to Peter but is most precious to Jesus, is people. And if we read the book of Acts, we read Peter's own letters, what do you see? A man more useful, because he was broken, and repentant, and dependent. Peter had a tremendous usefulness. Some of you know that early on in my ministry, actually before I became a minister, that I have sinned grievously, privately, not only to me, and, and carry that. I, I know that this festering within, in my case it was for several years. The Lord walked in my heart, and He did the surge and removed that. And I went to those that I needed to, and confessed my sin, and the Lord was, it was right to preserve your ministry. My ministry changed because of that. I, I noted the change because um, it was I knew God's grace, I believe I was converted, but there was something rich and robust and real and solid about the gospel because of what I went through. And I think Peter knew that. I don't think Peter ever forgot that. Every time he preached, he think this in some sense lingered with the not in a better way. But as a way of great encouragement. Jesus has commissioned me to care for his people. What does Jesus call us? Lambs? Sheep? Why sheep? By referring to Christians in this manner, Jesus is teaching Peter, that all who would come after him as well as elders, what is the nature of the people he care for? Why sheep? What does that mean? Even as this would say we apply to elders, we need to hear What's That's the smell that that sheep? They're weak. Sometimes they mature, like lambs. They're prone to water. That's what sheep do. They must be led And not driven. They need help finding greener pastures and still waters. Here's an application for all us others, or any who might be called to such an office. Remember that the sheep are like the price sheep and the weak and the needy. And likewise remember the good shepherd, that by his grace and spirit of work in us, that we like Jesus would be tender with this people. Gentle, kind, and patient, that we would not snuff out the smoking flax or break the bruised weed. Jesus' words to Peter tell the minister that it is his responsibility to feed the sheep. That's what he focuses on. Feed them, feed them what? The Word of God. And no more. The Word of God. First stop. That's what to give to the people of God. John Calvin speaks of this feeding and quoting here. The office of feeding is itself laborious, and, laborious? Means labor, and troublesome. Since nothing is more difficult than to keep men under the yoke of God. We got that about ourselves. Among whom there are many who are weak, others who are wanton and unsteady, others who are dull and sluggish, and others who are slow and unteachable. Sheep. Calvin goes on to say that these things can lead to discouragement, even of a good pastor. The amount of ingratitude that may be showed to a minister can bring a man down. Calvin gives an application to me, and indeed. Your other pastors, as all others are, he says, No man therefore will steadily persevere in the discharge of this office unless the love of Christ shall reign in his heart. In such a manner that forgetful of himself, he devotes himself entirely to Christ. as we care for you that we will be steady and steadfast and faithful and that we will not grow weary in well doing pray that the Lord would strengthen us pray that we like that would finish well Let us pray for one another that as we seek to have the care and the love of the Good Shepherd that we would recognize that He brings that to us most tangibly through the elders His hands His feet His eyes His ears one another, that we will all be receptive to we receive the ministry of these men, and pray that your own hearts will not be bad or sluggish. We conclude then as we close. Let us hear Jesus ask us the question that he asked Peter. Do you love me? Jesus says to you, do you love me? Do you love me? If you answer yes, By the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, I love Jesus. And praise the Lord. Praise the Lord in the words of the psalmist. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Amen. Amen. O Lord God Almighty, we thank you that we have resolution to this matter of Peter's denials. We thank you that John alone was appointed by you and move along by the Spirit to record these things. And Father, we acknowledge that though we have just scratched the surface of the lessons that are here, that what we've heard is powerful, rich, probing, and necessary for us to hear. Lord, may we learn from this exchange how to seek you when we have sinned, that we might know the fullness of grace of repentance by your Word and Spirit. Bless our elders, who strengthen and continue to equip them, Lord, as they care for us and labor in our midst. Lord, may we be a people willing and ready to receive the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ through them. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand and sing.